So we've got a couple of Bible readings this morning. The first one is Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 to 9. The greatest commandment. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your home and on your gates. And then we've got a New Testament reading, which is 1 Corinthians 8. 1 Corinthians 8. Is it 4 to 6 or 4 to 7? Okay. 4 to 6. Therefore, as to eating, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Thanks, Fee. The, um, you might have seen a little bit of a, a relationship there between the two readings, the, the Old Testament and Deuteronomy, um, talking about the greatest commandments, that there is one God and one Lord, and Israel was being commanded um, and being reminded that the Lord our God is one. We have one Lord. And then in Corinthians, Paul reminds them that there is no God but one. There is one God. You know, there are many gods and many lords, many things that lead you, he says, but there is one Lord. And uh, you might remember, if you were here last week, you would have heard Glenn um, uh, speaking on Jesus is Lord. And that's kind of what we're looking at this morning. We're um, looking at discipleship as a church. We're looking at, um, we're, we're giving hands and feet, if you like, to, to um, our purpose statement, which is um, moving people in following Christ, being Christ followers and moving other people in doing that. And we're, we're giving um, hands and feet to that, talking about discipleship. And discipleship begins at the point where Jesus is Lord. We're recognizing, you know, who runs the show? And, and Glenn talked about that last week. Um, we want to be disciples and we want to make disciples, you know, um, Christ followers making other Christ followers, if you like. And, and everyone is a disciple and everyone is making disciples. It's this kind of eternal um, self-perpetuating or continuum that keeps going. You actually don't stop. 
There's no graduation. You're, you're always being a disciple and you're stepping out and you're making disciples. Uh, the graduation is, there is a graduation, and it's called eternal life. And um, that's how we graduate. So we want to understand it right from the beginning and we want to take um, ourselves as a church, as a church community, we want to take ourselves on a journey to understand what it means for us to be disciples and what it means for us to disciple. And it begins with what does it mean that Jesus is Lord and, and, and how does that work in our lives? Because it's foundational and, and it's critical. Because a Lord, the Lord, and Glenn shared this last week, is, is the one who controls. A uh, Lord is the one who, who directs, uh, who determines the outcome of your life, who determines the design of your life. You know, Glenn had a few examples last week, and I was sitting in the, in the pews listening, and I'm thinking, oh, I know a good one, I know a good one, but he didn't look at me. You know, we're in, in, a, court, in a court system, they're called your lordship. Now, why are they lords? Because whatever they say is the direction your life's going to take for the next however long. Isn't that right? And so we do get the concept of, of Lord and, and the one who runs and controls our lives. And, and Jesus is Lord is all-encompassing, isn't it? It's not just Jesus is Lord here, but he's not here. That, that, that's, a, that's a dichotomy that doesn't work. A Lord is a Lord, and, and it's all over. It's who runs your life. And our New Testament scripture says it well, Paul says it well, one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we exist, through whom we operate, Jesus Christ. Now why is this really important and why do we hammer on this? You know, well, discipleship is about following and, and you don't follow something that isn't influential, that doesn't sort of encompass all your life. You don't follow something that has no influence over you. And you can't and you won't give yourself to something that has no influence over you. Because you haven't given it Lord status in your life. So you're not going to follow that. Remember we're talking about following Jesus Christ. You don't follow someone or something that you don't respect or that you don't feel adds to your value as a person or to your mission in life. You don't follow them. They don't have Lord status. That thing doesn't have Lord status. You don't sacrifice for that. You don't give yourself to that. You do, however, follow someone or something that does influence you, that does ring your bell, that, that does command your respect in one way or another, that does give you a sense of purpose. You do follow somebody or something that does give you those things, that, that does give you a mission in life. You do follow what you love and who you love. So if Jesus is Lord, like really Lord, and we say that, we do that, we sing it in songs and, and we have these fantastic sayings in church and songs. If Jesus is Lord, it has consequences. It means that he's the one we respect. It, it means that, that he is the greatest influence in our lives. It means that he determines our values, that, that our sense of purpose, and that that comes from him. Our sense of well-being, our sense of fulfillment and satisfaction comes from him. We follow him and we lead others to follow him, Right? A disciple is a follower and we, we make disciples. We're disciples of him and we make other disciples. 
And it's important that we do follow Jesus. And it's important that we do disciple others to Jesus is Lord. Because if we don't disciple, the culture will. And it's doing a really good job of it. You see, people are, we are being discipled every day. Every day by a sophisticated system called the media or advertising. We are being discipled. People are being discipled all the time, and we are as well, by this system. And the investment into this discipleship process, process is in the trillions. It's megabucks because it works, because it really works. What does it do? What does it try to do? It appeals to and gives us, the consumer, a sense of identity, doesn't it? A sense of self. Um, It might give us a sense of purpose. If you drive this car, you'll belong and you'll have a great purpose. Sense of belonging. You know, everybody's doing this. Everyone's buying this. And if you're not, you don't belong. A sense of who we are. You know, and ultimately that's what discipleship is about, isn't it? Who we are. Who we model ourselves after. Who makes us complete. Who makes us feel worthy. Who makes us feel fulfilled. And ironically, or maybe not, we become more and more like that which we follow. This is human nature. You can't fight it. Because it's who you are. We become more and more like that which we follow and that which we've given Lord status in our lives. We begin to look like them. The core of Christian discipleship, what we're talking about, what we want to be talking about as a community, and what we're committed to is about becoming more and more like Jesus, isn't it? That's what the Bible commands us to be. The Bible says that we are to become more and more like Jesus. You know, we have all these great sayings, you know, when you go out in the mission field, you know, we need to be like Jesus because, you know, you might be the only Jesus someone ever meets. We're called to become more and more like Jesus our Lord. Yet we live in a time where consumerism is the alternative religion of our day, where it appeals to our wanting to be like. And why does it work? We just talked about that. Why does it work? Is consumerism the other Lord? If Jesus is Lord, is consumerism the other Lord? I don't think so. I think the other Lord is me. I think that's why it works. See, I am predisposed to me. Sin is a part of my life. Rebellion is a part of my life. Wanting to feel comfortable. I am predisposed. I am inclined to me. So why does consumerism work? Because the other Lord is me. It isn't Jesus. And here's the exchange that we need to make daily again and again and again, because if Jesus is Lord, and we say that, then I'm not, because it can't be two. If Jesus is Lord, then I follow him and not me and my own desires. And the way we follow and the way we worship is by obeying him. He calls, and if some of you watch these Alan Hirsch clips, he says these words, he says, Jesus 
is Lord calls for utter obedience. And that is so contrary to our culture, utter obedience. How dare you? Jesus calls for utter obedience. And the Hebrew mind, the very way that you worship is to obey. That is worship. And it's not just about words spoken or mantras chanted or coming into his courts with praise. For them, in the Hebrew mind, it was becoming like he whom we worship. Living the way he wants us to live, taking on the values he wants us to have, etc., etc. To use the words of Paul in our text again, through whom we exist. We exist through him. You know, an existence is more than just lifestyle, isn't it? It's more than just choices in certain areas. It's more than just setting up this compartment and that compartment. We exist for His pleasure. The Bible says that we exist to glorify. We, are, we were created to, to bring pleasure to God, to glorify Him and to worship Him and to lift Him up, weren't we? For His glory. That's why we exist. And Paul uses that word, through whom we exist. I hope you're making some of the connections. But here's where discipleship gets hard, for me anyway. I'm guessing I'm not on my own here, but I'm going to go with myself. See, I pretty much exist for me. Most of my time is spent thinking about how things affect me. What I like. What works for me. What makes me feel comfortable. Most of my choices are based on what I like or what I feel like I deserve. And to be really honest, I am also discipled by consumerism. It attracts me. Most of you know that I love motor cars and motorbikes. Oh, you don't have to work hard. And other things. It attracts me because I am predisposed to me. And considering making disciples... (laughs) I'm going to replicate at least mostly what I am, aren't I? If Jesus is Lord of my life and I'm going to disciple someone else, then Jesus is going to be Lord of their life. But if Jesus isn't Lord of my life, I'm still going to disciple them that way. (laughs) And to be even a little bit more honest, I can get a little bit annoyed that God expects me to make him Lord to live exclusively for him. I can get frustrated that he keeps wanting to intervene in my life and fix things. I read this interesting quote. Now, Jim, if you could put the first quote up. This is C.S. Lewis wrote this. It's a bit long, so I thought you might want to read along with me. Have a read of this. Can you read that? I made it a bit small, didn't I? Sorry about that. I think that many of us, when Christ has enabled us to overcome one or two sins that were an obvious nuisance, (laughs) I love that language, we're inclined to feel, although we don't put it into words, that we're now good enough. He has done all we wanted him to do, and we'd be happy if he would now leave us alone. But the question is not what we intended ourselves to be, but what he intended us to be when he made us. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house, and at first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, stopping the leaks in the roof, and so on. And you knew that those jobs needed doing, so you're not surprised. But then he starts knocking the house about in a way that's painful, and he doesn't seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? 
Well, the explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one that you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting up an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. This is C.S. Lewis's days. We don't do courtyards nowadays, do we? You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage. But he's building a palace that he intends to come and live in it himself. How cool is that? I get annoyed that God wants to fix a couple of little things in my life and then he gets really in, digs deeper into my life. And I think, no, I'm good, I'm good. So for me, it's important to be reminded that Jesus is Lord and not me and that the way life works best, <laughs> the way I'm going to become a palace, or in my thoughts, a sports car, <laughs> is when I submit to that. He's shaping me into who he designed me to be. You know, and submission, submit to that is easy to say, but submission takes a decision and it takes obedience. It's back to that Hebrew, worship is obedience. It takes obedience, it takes faith to know that, that Jesus has a plan that's much bigger than mine. If only I will make him Lord. And discipleship starts with recognizing that Jesus is Lord and that he not only has the best plans for our life, but he also has the right as our creator to rule our lives. So this begins to affect our choices, doesn't it? it gets, here's the tin tax. Here's where it gets down to um, moving away from lovely sayings to sort of, so what does this look like, you know? <laughs> yeah, and last week, Glenn kind of touched on a few of those things. You know, this affects our choices, behaviors, our attitude, our lifestyle. Glenn's, Glenn quoted Tim where he did a message where he talked about, if you want to know who Lord is, your life is, have a look at your bank statement, have a look at your diary. And what was the other thing? Sorry? Yeah, your, and your search history. And it could be more, you know, in, in which generation you're in, you know, it could be more. But really, if you want to know who's Lord, have a look at that. Have a look at where your time is. Have a look at your excuses, the things you do and don't do. Because if Jesus is Lord, it means that he gets the number one spot in our lives, in our diaries, in our resources, in our dreams, and in our plans. Jesus came to build his kingdom here on earth, not mine, not yours. And he wanted to use us to do that, his followers, to build the church. And you can only build something with committed disciples. Disciples that recognize the authority of the ultimate commander and will obey. Contrast that with disciples of consumerism. What if consumerism is Lord? Alan Hirsch, in those clips I, I said to him, he said this. He said, you can't build a church on consumers. A lot of churches are, str are struggling with this now. How do we do church? How do we make it more uh, attractive, if you like? Or how do we make it more... But Alan Hirsch says, you can't build a church on consumers because they will desert you in an instance because there's no commitment. It depends on what they like, what style you have, whether you uh, tickle their fancies or not. You can't build a church on that. You can't build anything on that. Keep in mind, God's building a kingdom. Jesus is building a kingdom. We're just building a church. Jesus took 12 men. He goes on to say, Alan Hirsch says this as well. Jesus took 12 men and by extension the 70 and he changed the world. How? By discipling and that would never have happened with consumers. Think about that. 
So the question is, what or who is discipling you? Who or what is Lord in your life and how can you tell? You know, I'm not sure I need to go into a stack of detail here. We all know what it means to surrender and obey, at least intellectually. Our intellectual understanding isn't that poor. We've sat in enough church services, we've been enough, in enough life groups, we've been in enough situations to understand what that means intellectually. The problem is translating it into action. That seems to trip me up time and time again. It manifests in small ways, it manifests in big ways. And mostly, if not always, me is the issue. So how can you tell? When we're making, and when we're making disciples, and you are, you're always making disciples. People are always watching us. What are you making disciples? So who are you making disciples of? What kind of example or lifestyle do you do you have? What kind of um, what? set of disciplines do you show off in your life? What kind of decision-making systems do you show? How do you honor the Lord before others and show that you do? How are our choices affected or shaped by who Lord is? You know, again, it's the big things. Glenn talked about some of those things, but it's also the really small things. He's a really small example. And this is probably going to get me into trouble this morning, a couple of these things. So if you've got any tomatoes, especially in cans, don't throw them. So um, <laughs> here's a small example. Coming to church. Getting to church on time. Ouch. Commitment to meeting together, getting to, getting to activities. Life groups and that. Being a part of the community. Why are these things a struggle? You know, because I am Lord here. My things, my time, etc., are more important. And we had a discussion in the office this week, <laughs> a bit of a warm discussion about, you know, is church a social event? You see, because what's happened with church is, you know, when you are invited to dinner or a party, it's kind of trendy and okay to come half an hour late, right? Or over this, an hour late, hour and a half late, right? Am I right? And so you've got your social thing, but your job or an appointment for a job interview or something, that's not cool. You, you come on time, right? So we've got these two baskets. We've got this social basket where it's cool and okay to come late. In fact, it's trendy, or this where it's not. What have we done with church? We've popped it in there, haven't we? We've popped it in the social thing. You know, and, and it's okay. And so we had this discussion in church office, is church a social event? Or are church functions a social event? And it really got me thinking, because I think it was Scott who really challenged me on that, you know. And so I'm doing some reading, you know, and I'm doing some, I'm starting to doubt my own message. I read, And I discovered it's not a social event because we know there's social elements in church for sure. We just don't call it social. We call it fellowship because that sounds more Christian, right? (laughs) Am I right? (laughs) There's social elements, but church is not a social event because we understand that we are called to worship. 
that we are called by the King of Kings, by the Lord, to come and gather as His people in His presence. And I can tell you right now, if you knew that Jesus was preaching this week, you would be here on time to get a seat. And you'd bring an esky because he's got a reputation for going long. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> Someone once wrote, here's another quote. Someone once wrote this. Someone once wrote and asked Emily Post, the etiquette expert of another generation, what is the correct procedure when one is invited to the White House but has a previous engagement? Replied post, an invitation to dine at the White House is a command and it automatically cancels any other engagement. Think about it. Does the invitation, does the call to be in the presence of God with His people in whatever form, whether that's life group, whether that's your youth group, whether that's church, does that cancel any other engagement or other, any other influence? Does it depend on how much you like it? or it suits your style or your generational style or what you feel like church should be like? Does it depend on how busy you are or how important your stuff is? Here's another one, last one. I've only got three, so you won't get tired of them. Shortly after joining the Navy, the new recruit asked his officer for a pass so that he could attend a wedding. The officer gave him a pass but informed the young man he'd have to be back by 7 p.m. Sunday. You don't understand, sir, said the recruit. I'm in the wedding. No, you don't understand, the officer said. You're in the Navy. It's a tough one, I know. And I'm going to be even more unpopular here because I hear things like, oh, I can't come like I said I would. Um, yeah, I've got exams. I have to study. I'm running behind. Or, yeah, look, I'd, I'd planned to be there, but... There's a lot of work on at work at the moment. You know, I'm kind of stuck. Or, yeah, I'd be there and help out, but we have this family thing. I could go on, but I won't. I'm making myself uncomfortable. Who or what is Lord? You might think these things are trivial, but these examples often come about because who I've chosen is going to be Lord in other areas of my life, and often it's me. Who I've chosen needs to, you know, I need to do this and this and this. So I've run out of time, so I'm going to have to study or do extra work there. So that's going to have to suffer. I haven't planned well my preferred use. Or are we skewed in these areas because we don't understand what really is important eternally? You know, the study one is an, is, is an interesting one for me and... Um, and I, you know, I'm going to say in a minute, I recognize these things are important, but <laughs> I remember when one of our kids was in year 12. No, one of our kids was Kelsey. She, <laughs> both of them did year 12. She was in year 12. And we were talking to, and she was really busy. In, she was running a couple of a life group for little girls and, and, and another life group. And she was doing a bunch, some things in youth. And someone, one of her teachers at her school said, you know, when you do year 12, you're going to have to stop doing all that because this is the most important thing in your life. I looked at him and I said, really? Really? He didn't answer me. Now, she's not a saint and I'm not boasting, but she purpose that she was going to continue doing what God had called her to do and she aced year 12 very well you know now that's not always the case and I'm not saying that it's always wrong to take time to study it is important to study 
I've had parents say to me, you know, their, their kids, in, when I was in Wyoming, their kids would say, look, I feel like I'm called to missions. I feel like God wants me to, you know, and the parents will come up and say, what have you done to him? You know, I, I want him to go to university and study because then you'll have something to fall back on. Think about that. Who and what are you supposed to fall back on? Who is Lord? I want my son to work hard and get a block of land so he can secure his future. Then he can go on a mission trip or then he can... Really? And Jesus' words are probably way more powerful than mine when someone says, just let me go and bury my father first. We all know how that went, don't we? None of these things are bad things on occasions. They're not. And I know that church is not Lord or church functions are not Lord. Jesus is. And yes, we do have important stuff. I'm in the wedding. It's important. But we're also in a battle for the kingdom. We've been called to build the kingdom of God. And it's most often, in my life anyway, a question of who I make Lord, who I want to be Lord. We will make disciples the way we are being disciples. And that's why it's important. When I was um, in YWAM, I trained uh, young leaders. And I had a, a band of about 20, 21 young leaders that we were training and planting work in Poland and Iceland and a number of places, but running schools. And I had one young man who was, I was discipling. And um, he was well known already in the country. He was a, a good speaker, very, very good and he would, they would have these big youth meetings near the airport in Holland at this big church, and he would speak there, and there would be a thousand young people, young adults that would turn up. And, and I admit, he was really good. And he wrote and asked me, could he work with me for a few years? And, and um, I struggled. I thought, what, what am I going to, you know? And then God said to me, I give gifts. You're not going to give him any gifts. But I need to build character. I, wanna, I want him to be discipled. So I began the first three months with this man, this young guy, I got to laugh when I think about it. I began, I've told some of you this story, making his bed, dressing properly. He would come to my team meetings that were at 8 o'clock. He would come at 2 minutes past 8, so I locked the door and sent him away. His relationship with his dad wasn't good. And he hated me. He just hated me. He said, why are you doing this? Why are you persecuting me? You know, seriously, he's... I, wasn't, I really believed that he had to get, if he was going to, decide, he now is an author of books and he speaks in America and Holland at leadership functions. He's one of these guys, when you go, when you send your business to his speeches, you pay $1,200 for an hour to have them listen, you know. Um, see, that stuff doesn't come. We don't build the kingdom of God unless we can build it in small ways, unless we can get it right in small ways. And I was training these guys, and I just didn't do that to him. I was training these guys because they were going to disciple others, and they were going to do what they learnt. If we're going to disciple others, they're going to make Lord, who is Lord of our life, who we're following. You're probably thinking, he's hard. These are just a couple of examples. But you know, we're all defining our discipleship and our discipling in this. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that there is room for improvement for us at One Hope in some of these areas. How does Jesus' as Lord show in your life as a declared follower of Jesus? And how does it get squashed easily? 
It does in mine. Is there room for improvement in your road of discipleship? Are there areas where obedience is a challenge? Uh, Where other lords still have the greatest influence? My answer is yes, and I need the Holy Spirit to do a work in my life. This all sounds really tough, and I know. And as I said, I struggle in my discipleship journey too. I have to continually go back to God and remember that He indwells me. Do you remember my sermon from a little while ago, the Holy Spirit? That He indwells me. And that I have the power to do this. I have everything I need. If you didn't remember that sermon, I'm going to do it again. I also need to remind myself that God is good. And that He has a better perspective on my life. He's building a palace. And that He's gracious. And Glenn was great. You know, Glenn is a great preacher. He brings the grace. He brings the grace. But God is gracious. He serves us as Lord. And Glenn, I won't, Glenn explained that last week. He, he, but he's, the greatest way he served me is by giving up his life on the cross so that I can live for him. And now my job is to bring him glory here on earth, to be a part of building his kingdom. Your job is to do the same. And our task as One Hope Community Church isn't to run church or to run local missions, to have great kids programs, fantastic life groups. And sick youth group pros. Is that right now? Or are we, t- are we saying bad now? How does that work? Great youth group programs. That's not what it's all about. It's to be obedient disciples of Jesus. <laughs> to make disciples of Jesus. To give glory to a great God and to show the rest of the world that Jesus is Lord. You know, the great programs, they're a result of that. They are. And they're great programs. We do have great programs. I prayed for that. That's why that we will become more and more like Jesus as we follow him and as we allow him to disciple us. You know, I'm praying to understand and to live like there is no middle ground. You know, I get caught in the middle ground. I'm praying for understanding so they'll live like there's no middle ground, because there actually isn't. Someone once said, and I didn't put this quote up, because this is a really short one. Someone once said, if Jesus isn't Lord of all, then perhaps he isn't Lord at all. That's a toughie. And Peter said, one Lord, Jesus Christ, whom through are all things in my life and in yours. Amen. Jesus is Lord. He's becoming Lord. He's getting there. I'm working on it. But you know what? Interesting thing I thought of, because I was challenged myself this week, and I'm thinking, you know what? Jesus isn't Lord of my life. But I start thinking Jesus isn't Lord. What I do doesn't doesn't make him Lord or not Lord. He is Lord. It's about whether I'm allowing him to be Lord of my life. And that's what it's about. So I would like us to stand up and I'm just going to pray. And um, I, I just want to pray uh, a prayer of confession. And I want to pray a prayer of surrender and a prayer of that the Holy Spirit will teach me to be obedient. I'm praying that over myself and over you. And I would like you to stand up with me because I'm standing up anyway. Um, and I would like to pray that for us, understanding that... Um, God is a big God. Now, if that's something that you also uh, can identify with, 
then I'm going to invite you now. This is not magic, and this is not super hyper-charismatic or Pentecostal, but I invite you just to hold your hands out like this. I want to receive what God has for me in terms of this, and I want to receive forgiveness for where my life doesn't measure up. I want to learn how to surrender. This is kind of surrender I give up. And I want to learn how to give God my life and be obedient. So I'm going to pray that, and I'm going to pray that for us all. So join me. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you first and foremost for your word. I thank you for the times that it strokes me and makes me feel great. And I thank you for the times that it challenges me and helps me to recognize where I fall short. But I thank you that the, the big message, the meta, meta message of your word is that you love me anyway, that I am 100% completely and fully loved. Lord, I want to begin by confessing that your word says that you are Lord and you are Lord, but Lord, I haven't given you Lord status in so many areas of my life. I recognize that. I recognize that I allow other things to get in the way and mostly it's me. And Lord, in those areas that I need to realign, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would enable me to do that. Lord, I pray for the capacity to surrender. I am stubborn. I like what I like. I hate pain. I hate effort. I hate things that, that make me feel uncomfortable. But Heavenly Father, if those things are standing in the way of you being Lord then I want to surrender those things to you right now. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would enable me to do that. God, I want to be obedient to your call to follow you. I want to be obedient to being your disciple. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would teach me obedience. Help me to understand, not just globally right now, but understand in the micro, when decisions come up, at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, whatever time of the day or, or whatever situation. I mean, each little decision, teach me what it means to be obedient to you. I want to become the palace that you can live in instead of the cottage that I'm happy with. And I just invite you, God, to begin your work in me today. And I thank you that you're faithful and that you will. I invite you to do that amongst us. And do that with One Hope Community Church, that we would be a palace that you would be pleased to live in. We become what you call us to become. And I pray these things in and through the name of Jesus Christ, who is all. Amen. If you wanted to stay standing, relax, the worship team is going to come on up. If you wanted to talk with someone more about this, if you wanted to pray about it, if there's something specific where you think, you know what, this is really a challenge for me and I could use a bit of help with that or I could just use a bit of you know, divine help then I want to invite you to um, pray with someone after church. That could be there will be prayer people on either side of the church ready to pray for you. That could be with one of those. It could be with your life group leader that's at church this morning or a good friend. But I invite you to activate the power that God's given us and pray about stuff and, and, and see if God doesn't step up and just step next to you and serve you in that as well. He's a serving Lord. Um, have a look at your week. Another simple challenge. I started doing the same. Have a look at your week. Have a look at the way you use your time, the choices you make. Mostly I do that looking back and I think, hmm, I wasted about 30 minutes here. I wasted about, you know, and that meant I couldn't do this. Now that's not going to change overnight. I can be a procrastinator. 
and it's probably not going to change overnight for you. But have a look and challenge yourself to step forward in new ways, ways that you can make Jesus Lord or that affect the way that you make Jesus Lord. Um, Yeah, pray with somebody. We're going to finish with a song and then we'll just finish the service and have a great day. Oh, tonight at five o'clock. Anyone, can anyone tell me what's on at five o'clock tonight? Generate. Now, I'd ask for a show of hands, but I might embarrass you. I will challenge you, come along to Generate tonight. Our young adults are, um, are not just serving themselves. They're wanting to encourage everyone that comes along. So come along to Generate, worship with us, and hear God's word with us tonight. Five o'clock, be here. Thank you, Di.